moving into Acts 9 this week, and I didn't know what to call this uh, message, so I called it Higher Thoughts, which is about God's thoughts, not weed-inspired thoughts. So <laughs> I just needed to uh, clarify that. Uh, that's why that, that scripture from Isaiah 55, we're actually focusing on Acts 9, but we're getting a lot of reference from Isaiah 55, which I will pull up as we go along. And um, so I want us to focus the whole time about the higher thoughts of God, that God's thoughts are better than our thoughts, obviously, and how you see in this whole story of people being surprised by God's higher thoughts. You know, we think we, like, we think we know what's going on. Like how many of you in your life with God have been surprised? Okay, there's a few honest people in the room. No, but it's God's has a way of we think we know what's going on, we think we got it all figured out, and then he does something that seems like it's coming out of left field or, you know, and it's so much better, so much more right than anything we could think of, and we get a big piece of that in this story that we're going to look at today. It's really three pieces. The first one's about Paul or Saul. The second one involves what happens to him, and then the third one is we jump over to Peter and see a couple things he's doing, all right? So we'll just, we'll just run through these really quick and talk about a couple things. But I have a quote that I want to share that I think kind of sums this up pretty well. Some of what I was just talking about, about being surprised by God. And it's actually from Mark Twain, I think. You know how these things go. People attribute things to people, and who knows if they actually said them. I, I, so I think this is from Mark Twain. And it goes this way. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So I'll read that again, just everybody. Wow, that's really small. Oh, well. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So let's read this. Acts 9, 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Yeah, letters to the synagogues. So that if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, which is Christian people, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Paul is Saul, Paul. We start, we start calling him Saul. We then call him Paul kind of after his conversion. I've heard people say that those names were interchangeable. And so it may not be as significant as we always talk about. But either way, whatever. We call him Saul because that was his name before. And then after he starts following the Lord, they start referring to him as Paul. So that's how this works. So I'm going to just call him Paul today because I get, you know, or I'll try it. We'll see. <laughs> He's on his way. Uh, he's a bad guy. So he's the first guy who really gets surprised by God. All right. And you would think, um, just so everybody understands what this guy's doing. Like, this is a bad guy. He's, he, all the people, like, you, we talked about him a couple weeks ago when they, were, when they were literally killing the guy, Stephen. This guy was standing there going, that's good. I like that. You know. And so he's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord. He's, he's, he's got letters which these letters are basically like, like we have the book Philemon, which is kind of like a letter you would take, and it kind of gives somebody credibility. It'd be like, like a reference letter or something like that. Like if you said, hey, I need a, uh, 
I need you to write a letter for me that says you as this official person is saying that I have you know, credibility and should be listened to and all this kind of thing, and then I can take this with me and then go arrest people with it and try to kill them and stuff like that. So he has letters like that. So he's not only a bad guy, he's also educated, he's well-connected, he's powerful, and he's scary. He's a smart guy. So he's the threat of the Christian people right now, the people of the way, the people following Jesus. This is who we're talking about. And everybody who's afraid of that, afraid of him, because you can see that later when they react to what happens to him. They're not like, oh, good. <laughs> They're like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, this is some kind of trick. You see what I'm saying? And um, so I'm sure there were people praying, God, can you help us with this persecution? God, can you help end this? Can you help us to, what, you know, like deal with this? And some people probably would think, we need to get deal with this guy. This guy needs to be, you know. Like, we would think that way. I would probably think that way. Like, this guy is the problem. Let's, you know, or God needs to deal with him. Like, make him go away or die or whatever, you know. And this guy's he's killing us. We need him to be dealt with, you know. He's an obvious villain, and he's doing evil things. But this is where the Isaiah 55 thing started come, coming into my mind, where it says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And that's come all including people that are bad, like Saul, Paul. And then Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the core of this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what I would say from this is don't ever count anybody out, all right, yourself or anybody else, because we start to go, that's not like, obviously the only way to deal with this guy is to just remove him and make him gone from the situation. But God has a higher plan in mind. But it's not obvious at all if you were there. You would be going, this guy is the bad guy, the godfather or whatever. You know, I'm just trying to think of some kind of, you know, villain or whatever. And we need him to be removed. But this whole exchange happens in two questions. Uh, the first one is Jesus shows up because he's going, I'm going to do this thing that God is, I'm, he thinks he's serving God now, okay? So he's going to do this thing and then God shows up, Jesus shows up and it's the light and everything, and he does an interesting thing. He calls his name twice, which we see that in the Old Testament. That happens to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, this kind of, you know, it's the first kind of clue of who's talking to him, you know. Hey, you know, Saul, Saul. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, why are you persecuting me is the first question. Question number one, why are you persecuting me? This is how Jesus starts the whole conversation. He doesn't go, listen, jerk, or whatever. He says, why are you persecuting me? And I have some thoughts about that, but we don't, it doesn't really matter right now. Luke 10, 16 says, says that whoever listens to you listens to me. This is Jesus talking now. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And you see that reflected here, that Paul's persecution of these people that are following Jesus is a persecution against God himself. Meanwhile, he thinks he's doing what God wants him to be doing. Like, I'm doing a good thing, and actually it turns out it's not a good thing at all. But then Paul responds with a question. Saul Paul responds with a question. Who are you, Lord? The Lord word there is important because he realized this guy's obviously important. He's probably figured out what's going on, but doesn't. It's so shocking and maybe doesn't even want to admit it. It's like, oh, no. You know, because the only one I'm persecuting, oh, no. But obviously he's a very powerful person. So he's like, who are you, sir? You know, it's kind of, <laughs> who are you, Lord? He's definitely confused, but he's starting to figure it out. 
because he thought he was serving God. And this is where the biggest note that I would say about this whole thing is that we can zealously do things that we think are for God, but they're not. And they're actually causing harm to people. This goes back to my Mark Twain quote. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Paul was certain that he was doing the right thing. He was so certain about it, he was like getting letters and stuff. I mean, he wasn't just, I think about this sometimes and post it on my blog or Facebook. I mean, he was actually taking action and getting things done, you see. And so we can easily zealously do things for God and then be completely wrong and be harming people. So this is something we all need to just, you know, be aware of the surprise of God might have for us in our lives. But then Jesus responds to him, you know, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> but he continues on, go to the city and you will be told what you must do. That you must do echoes like in Acts 2 when we see the guys are like, what must I do to be saved? It's that exact same chunk puts here. You'll be told what you must do, you know. And then he gets up and he realizes he's blind, like he can't see. And so now his physical condition matches what his spiritual condition was. He was so sure he was doing the right thing, he thought, I- I'm seeing this clearly. And, obvious- and what God was showing him is, no, actually, you're not seeing anything. You're not seeing very well at all. And now you're going to encounter that in a physical way. And the people around him were kind of confused because they could see some of this, but they couldn't hear it. Like They were like, what is happening? And now this guy's blind. So they lead him in. To the city because Paul has a vision of a guy coming and healing his eyes. Like he knows God's going to heal him. But he starts to fast, pray and fast. But God's got his attention now. God's like, so he goes into the city. They let him in there and he just starts praying. And I think for these three or couple days or whatever, he's reflecting on everything. And he's starting to put two and two together. Because like I said, this guy is like educated. And there's like levels of education in this kind of um, system the synagogue system and everything like that. Not everybody gets it all. It's kind of like our, I mean, kind of like our education too, but if it was only about the Old Testament, like pretty good chance this guy's memorized all of or very, like can recite to you right now a large amount of what we call the Old Testament, you know. And what I think he's probably doing over these couple days while he's sitting there fasting and praying is he's reviewing all of these scriptures and going, oh my gosh, how did I not see this? 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 Now that's not in, I don't want to like necessarily say that's happened, but I think that's what's, because you can start to see in other Paul, uh, the later books of the Bible, Paul wrote a lot of these, and he pulls out all these things, you know, like sometimes you have to pay attention because in your Bible, depending on how they print it, like these are like Old Testament references, and he's sticking them in there like, you know, and if you don't pay attention to the quotation marks and stuff, you might not notice. He's like, he didn't write that part. Like, that's from Isaiah, and he didn't write that part. That's from, you know, and he's doing this a lot. And I think it's this three-day period. He's like, oh, my gosh, like, so much. I didn't see it, didn't understand. Well, God continues with his plan, his higher plan. Um, and he reaches out to a guy named Ananias. So in Acts 9, 10 through 16, we have this. Um, in Damascus, there was a, disi- a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. So he gets one name. <laughs> uh, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So now we got God talking again to another guy. Yes, Lord, I'm, you know, here's his response. Lord, 
I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. All of what he just said to God was true. So let's read it, then we'll talk about it. 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias is first, he's surprised by this piece of information because this is a bad guy. God's like, hey, why don't you go, you need to go find this guy, this bad guy. You need to pray for him to receive his sight. And he's like, that's not the guy that I think I should be talking to. And God will speak to us like this. And we have lots of really good reasons why that's a bad idea. But here's the thing. Um, This guy actually trusts God and he goes and does what God tells him to do. When God gives us uh, instruction, um, because his thoughts are higher, they don't always make sense to us. And depending on how much we struggle with how much things have to make sense, (laughs) this could be a difficult thing. For you, because there's going to be times when, like last week, when the guy, when he said, God's like, hey, I know this is going great here. Head straight into the desert because that's where I need you to meet somebody. A lot of times when God's speaking, when the spirit is moving, things don't always make sense or they'll challenge what does make sense because God has a more sense, more making sense way of doing things. We just can't see yet. But this is a surprise uh, that. This guy, the, this is the guy for the, the Gentile. Like, this is a big deal. Like, we are talking about how the book of Acts is starting to move out from this, good, this message of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, who is the king of the world, the universe, providing salvation to all who call upon his name. And the message is starting to get shared with more and more people of varying kinds. You see a little piece of that um, in Isaiah, let me see, Isaiah 55 again. This is kind of started echoing in my mind. Isaiah 55, 4 through 7. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the people. Surely you will summon the nations you know not, and the nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous, their thoughts, let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, he will freely pardon. So you got a guy, the bad guy, who's wicked, he's turning to the Lord, and God's turning him into a witness to all these nations. It's an interesting picture there. And Ananias is faithful, he goes and prays for him, and and it says something really weird Something like scales fall from Paul's eyes, which I think represents after this time of darkness he's been in. He's been in spiritual darkness and just confusion before. He encounters the bright light of God, and it sends him back into like, whoa. Then his physical blindness comes as he reflects on all of this, and he's transformed by this whole, this whole event. And they say something like scales fall from his eyes. So now he's seen, and the guy lays his hands on him, and he says, you're we feel with the Holy Spirit and baptized and everything. And he does. So he's converted now, right? And he is literally forsaking his ways, and he's turning to the Lord. And it says the Lord will have mercy on him. And he immediately 
starts sharing what he knows. Because like, like I said, like we could go through our whole life where you could encounter somebody that you know that's the most wicked person who's doing and being all of these, I don't know, terrible things. But when they encounter God, that, that shift immediately, all of that, sometimes God calls us away from a former life completely. Like you used to do this, like let's drop that and let's start doing this thing over here. You see a lot of that like with Peter. He's like, I know you're fishing, but we're going to be a fisher of men, you know. Which, in a way, is kind of a continuation of this mindset. But it's kind of a completely different thing. Like, you know, you're not going to really be going back to the boat or anything. With Paul, you got, a, like, a whole wealth. Like, he spent his whole earlier life getting all of this knowledge, all of this sort of thing, so he could be ready to do this thing. He has no idea what he's going to be doing, you see. So he thinks he's doing it to go over here, and all of a sudden God's like, Shh. But it doesn't really change exactly what he's doing. He's using all that knowledge he's got. And so... God is so good at putting all this stuff together, the higher thoughts that he knows this the whole time. And because of this, Paul's like really good at debating with people. After only three days, like the guy's already, so it says here, Acts 19, 9, 19 through 25, Saul spent several days with disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a big departure from where we were a couple days ago. But he's got the knowledge to put the pieces together. So all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who, re- who raised havoc in Jerusalem among, among those who call on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? So they're confused. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's proving it. So he's now connected to these higher ways. He's actually laying it out like, no, guys, this is how it is. And nobody can win in any sort of debate or anything. So after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So immediately, he goes from being the killer to the guy who is about to be killed. <laughs> it's amazing, um, this shift. But Saul learned of their plan, and, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. These bad guys are trying to kill him. So the followers took him at night and lowered him by a basket through an opening in the wall. So like these cities had like walls around them to protect from Bad people, especially at night, they would close the gates and stuff. But sometimes the people had like a window in the wall, so they kind of, they let him down in a basket to get away. Um, and so he heads to Jerusalem to try to meet up with the guys there. And then you get the same exact story again. They're like, yeah, see, we don't want to hang out with you because you're the guy that kills everybody. And then they kind of listen to him. They're like, gosh, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. He seems, and then, you know, he gets introduced to the disciples and stuff, and they go, okay, like, this is working. But then the same thing happens again. Other pe- he starts debating with people, and they're like, we need to kill this guy. The other, the other Jewish people are like, this guy has to go. So the disciples take him, and they, say, they send him off to Tarsus. And then we kind of have a, a little bit of a break from Paul all of a sudden. So he goes off to Tarsus, and it says this interesting thing. Verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So they're increasing in numbers. And they have this peace just because of this, kind of implying because of this one guy. So so I started to think about, you know, if I was Peter and these other people that were like being persecuted. And there was one person that was causing most of it. And I would be praying that, God, please help us deal with this. Please help us deal with this. And then he does really actually literally do that. I'm, I'm adding some of this as my own interpretation. But God literally helps. They enter into a time of peace. But, like, I'm sure 
none of the guys were like, yeah, because that guy will like convert and do what we're doing. You know what I mean? It's like this is a surprise. And so I want us to be encouraged in our minds about our family, about our church, about the people we work with, about the people we see every day, about the people, whatever. We're so limited by just saying, I want this to stop for me, when the whole time God's got an even much bigger plan. It's like, yeah, we will deal with this. We will give you this time of peace that you need with the increasing numbers and the power of the Holy Spirit and all this kind of thing. But also, <laughs> this person is going to be part of that. It's kind of like the, before Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, it's all in the Old Testament, and Jesus kept explaining it. And every time he'd bring it up, his disciples would be like, you know, can you, like, leave out that part? Because it didn't jive with their understanding of what a Messiah person was going to do. Because they couldn't understand it yet. It's like, it's not what you know. It's not what you don't know. You know, it's like the whole thing is like, oh, now I see, you know. And so the surprise of how God chooses to do these things. And then really, really quick, we're going to touch on this thing where it shifts over to Peter immediately. And this is definitely a picture of what I think would be higher ways. So God's higher ways of calling the, like, the worst bad guy, the most directly 180 bad guy from this group of people to now be a very important leader in it. That's higher ways and surprising. But then Peter's also engaging in some higher ways sort of stuff as he goes around because he just starts healing people, which, I, you know, like we were just praying that Colton would be healed. This is stuff that God can do that we can't. Like, so just listen to this story here. Ananias is the first guy. So, which Kevin and I were talking a couple, like, about... Everybody seems like named Ananias, Ananias, Ananias. It's like, wait, who are these? <laughs> like, you get them confused because remember Ananias and Sapphira a couple weeks ago. So this is a different guy, Ananias. Verse 32, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. I'll say that, Aeneas. Who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat, and immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So that's just something you can't do. Like, he walks up to a guy who's been bedridden for eight years, and the Holy Spirit heals this man, his physical body right now. And the result is, like Asaph was saying, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So because of this, this whole area is like, oh, this is amazing. God is good. Jesus is good in that whole thing. And then he gets called and runs over to Joppa really quick because there's another person, Tabitha, who has actually died now. And they're like, you need to come help. Hurry quickly, quickly. And so there's kind of a... <laughs> that's, that's an interesting place to be where you're preaching the good news of Jesus. And it's like, we need you to come heal somebody. Like, you saw Jesus do it. You saw Jesus you know, raise somebody from the dead. So you know it can happen, but that's a lot of pressure right there. But he goes, and he also knows the Old Testament, and he does something that you see Elisha do. There's a, there's a dead person, the people around, they're crying, they're showing everything she's made and all this kind of stuff. And he says, okay, everybody leave really quick. I need to pray. And so he prays, and she's raised from the dead. And so you see this here in verses 40 to 43. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning Toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. 
Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Verse 42. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So again, the same exact result is that uh, people saw... Sorry, Pastor Jeff is texting me unhelpful information in the middle of preaching. This became known all over Joppa and people, <laughs> sorry, and many people believed in the Lord. So it's the same result again, that you're hearing, you're seeing what God is doing. Because there's a dead person who is alive now. That is what God can do. I don't know why he doesn't always do it. I don't know why we don't always see it. But that is available to those who are believing, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of thing. So now you've got three things in a row, or at least maybe four. One is the worst bad guy now is kind of helping lead the movement all of a sudden. Crazy. We get peace out of it. And he's going to start like taking this message to a new group of people. Then we got a guy who can't walk for eight years, and he just, let's get up and let's do that. And he's healed immediately. That's amazing. And then you have another person who's dead and it's not like, well, they didn't, like, here's the main thing you need to understand about when the Bible talks about this stuff. This isn't like, uh, this, is a, this is a history book. This is like a, a story of things that happened. This happened 2,000 years ago. This happened. And 2,000 years ago, they knew when people died. It wasn't like, well, they're just a little confused. Maybe they were asleep. No. Like, they, like you know when people are dead, okay? And they don't, they, people have always known that. So it's not like a surprise. So when they write, like, this person's dead, they understand what they're talking about, okay? When Jesus died and rose three days later, it's not like he fell asleep. It's not like he just got drugged or something like that. Like, they know when people are dead, okay? It's important to know because sometimes people go, well, maybe they just got confused. They, they, that could happen. I'm not going to say it can't ever happen. But people know, this, like, the same kind of world events. Like, they know when you're having a baby. They would have a baby. You see what I'm saying? And yes, we do know more medically now. So there are like things that maybe were more mysterious to them at the time. But even the guy writing this is a doctor. So like the thing is like the guy was or she was dead. Okay. And then God brought her back to life. That's kind of crazy. Okay. And you hear stories. I've never seen this, but you hear stories of God doing this sort of thing now. And I, I am happy to I'm happy about that. I want to see this kind of thing in our church and in my own life, in a more readily available way. And so I don't know, but it's definitely something God is stirring up in me or in us to see more of this type of thing, I think. Uh, because uh, it's not like, and then it stopped, okay? This is what's available now. This is us. This is like a like looking back at the front end of the book of us, the greater church of the world, you know, that kind of thing. And so... Lord, let it be among us that we would see um, physical miracles as we pray for people in Jesus' name. I've seen just a taste of it, but I haven't seen a lot. So, Kayla, come on up here. We're going to close really quick. You see at the very end of this where Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Just kind of started to set up for the next week because um, Peter's about to be really surprised by God. Or what God's about to do and what he's about to show him. And it's a little piece of, like, you can see where it happens is at this guy's house. And I was with Pastor Jeff in Jaffa. Like, you can still go there. This is kind of a thing to think about. It was, <laughs> to me, it was really funny because, like, 
a lot of these cities are so old, but like they're stone, so some of them are still there. And like Joppa's like on the like this stuff smelled really bad, this whole tanning thing with the animals and the whole bit. And so the wind was important. So sometimes they would try to do this stuff by the water to kind of like get the smell to go away. Because you're like boiling animal hides and weird stuff to like separate them out to make leather and things like that. Apparently it smelled so bad that even later rabbis added to their kind of like rules that <laughs> if a wife, a woman married a tanner and she couldn't stand the smell, she was allowed to divorce him. Like that's how bad it smelled, right? So this guy's kind of out. He's a little bit of an outsider. So we're getting a little a little bit of a picture of where we're going with this thing. But you can go to this house right now. And if you do, it's really funny because there's like a guy who still lives there. And there's kind of a sign out front. Because like in, in Israel, there's a lot of like all these places, you know, as many of them as they know of, they're still there and they'll have, you know, tourist trap kind of stuff. And it's cool to see. And then this one, there's like a guy still living there. And he had like a sign. It was like, yes, this is the Simon the Tanner's house. Yes, it's the one from the Bible. Yes, it's that. No, you cannot come in. Yes, my family still lives here. Please don't bother us. And he had like a like a ring webcam kind of thing. Like, yes, you're on video, so don't do any. Like, you know, just, yes, this is it. You can look at it, but you're not coming in. Like, please, you know. And I was like, it's kind of awesome. Because it's the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. There's still just a guy living there. But I want to read the end part of this Isaiah 55 again. Because I think that the biggest thing out of all of this isn't necessarily that we can see the potential for the bad people or the enemies in our life or that we can see the fact that God can heal people because I think a lot of times like if we think at all even the slightest bit logically about if you could believe God can create the universe then it's not hard to believe that God could touch somebody and heal their body like it's the the gap there is like infinite almost in the amount of complexity and power necessary to do that so it probably isn't that we struggle with these um concepts as a whole we probably struggle with bringing them into our own lives in any sort of meaningful way like i always say i want to see when we're praying for people i want to see them healed now not just hear about it 2000 years ago or hear about it in some other country or something like that i want to see it here and now okay or i want to see these bad people convert in the stories that they have like i don't want to give up on these people that can be a struggle for me because i can sometimes give up on people But I want to have the heart. And so I think it's mostly what God wants to say is to have the heart of his higher ways. And so I want to read Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 13 because it starts to say like when you can start to see things the way God does, everything starts to change. And even this kind of stuff that we're talking about, the conversion of evil people and the change of their hearts, they're actually different. They're not bad people anymore. And the actually the physical healings you're dead and you're not dead anymore it doesn't only become not so shocking or whatever it's not even a surprise anymore it's like that's just what god does and that's what i want to see happen in all of us so if you'd stand with me really quick i'm going to read this chunk of scripture one more time verses 8 through 13 and this is the word of the lord and he's prophesying this over this time period even up till now for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways For neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, 
so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it is for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen.